And we're here at the the Bible Rundown. It's number day number 134, 2 Kings 19 through 21. Now, this this day has kind of stumped us a little bit. We're in the middle of reading this, and we got a lot going on, right? You have Hezekiah. We're not sure if he's good or wicked we we think we see signs of him being a good king i mean earlier in the chapters it says there was no king like him before or after that he prayed we see his his prayer to the lord we see the lord rescuing him from the assyrians but then at the end of his life it just gets a little murky he has a son who's the most wicked king Manasseh. So it's 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 dangerous, right, to assume too much, but at the same time, I do want to get into the discussion on Hezekiah. Yeah. How, how do we get there? So I think I think what way we structure it is we talk about the two prayers and focus on those, right? And yeah. then we'll let Manasseh okay. be a totally standalone thing. So the first prayer, I think we just briefly say it's it's a recurring thing that we see. A nation or an army is coming against Israel. Um, Hezekiah pleads to the Lord, humbles himself in prayer. God inclines himself to that prayer. It's all built around God the honoring glory His name of God. Exactly. Right? There's built a lot of the glory of God. Yeah. There's a lot of language similarity with what we see David and Goliath, right, in their speech. This power encounter, giving God all the glory for the defeat in the battle. Yeah, and I love verse 31. I think it's verse 31 that talks about the zeal of the Lord will do this, right? So, like, God's, I wouldn't, pride maybe isn't the best word, but God's defense of his own glory is so much of the forefront of his mindset that, yes, he's going to intervene. And what does he do? He sends a single angel rob and kills 185,000 yeah. and sends Sennacherib back to, ironically, Nineveh. Nineveh, Nineveh the which, place of Jonah. Which at this point, it's like we know years yeah, after, Jonah. after Jonah's gone. But then you get his illness. So we have a second prayer. And you and I have, have talked about this offline. So yeah. some of it will play out now. Yeah, yeah. You the can word, hear our thoughts that we, as we speak them now. Yeah. So the word of the Lord comes to Hezekiah. That's where you like to put the emphasis. Right. Isaiah speaks Isaiah and says, speaks, you thus will, says the Lord. Right? You will die because of this illness. Yeah, verse 1. So then Hezekiah calls out to God, humbles himself, prays. God hears the prayer of Hezekiah. Mm. It seems that God hasn't changed, but that the situation has changed. And I'll... I think this will defend my answer of how we look at the character of Hezekiah, right? That's good. And so we're not saying that the word of the Lord that we know when the Bible speaks of the word of the Lord, it talks about it endures forever. Well, it does endure forever unless the situations have changed, right? And so this, this curse of death that Hezekiah was faced with appears from God's end to be contingent upon his humility and not his pride, right? right? So when Hezekiah humbles himself again, God answers and heals him. Kind of like Jonah going to Nineveh oh, like and saying, Jonah. you'll fall in three days. And the, they get in ash, you know, ashes and, and sackcloth and, and they humble themselves before the Lord and ask the Lord to refrain them from destroying Nineveh. And he does. 
But very the, similar. Very similar. But the outcome we'll get to. So the first question, Rob, is it wrong if we've been given a clear word from the Lord that we have a terminal illness to cry out to God and ask for healing? Do we just face death? Well, so the reason why you're asking this question we have to get to, which is the two things that happen in this time. These 15 years. The outcome after he's The outcome. We read the outcome. And the outcome is Babylon comes in and he shows him all the greatness of the gold and all the great money that Israel has accumulated. And eventually Babylon will take all of those things and put God's people in exile. They will come for that gold. Sure. So this is... And God shows him that this is very prideful and arrogant of... Hezekiah. The second thing that will happen is he he has a son who is Manasseh, who is essentially Satan being birthed as a child. I'm I'm, I'm being facetious here, but but this is how bad that king is. He is the worst king. So if and and I think the writer is trying to show us Hezekiah was the greatest king before and after, and now you're getting to the worst king, Manasseh, the worst of the worst which will bring about the exile of God's people. Now, we know that God is sovereign. We know that he has a plan in all things. It's interesting to me in this text of Scripture to see that an extension of life is not always best. If, it, if, if God's determined that you are to, he wants to take you home, then I want him to take me home. I would rather not go 30, 40, 15 more years and live a mediocre life and do things that do not glorify my God, i.e. raising a son that is wicked. Um, I, I would rather him take me home, and I would rather trust in his plans rather than my own. So to answer your question, I think that it can be convoluted at some times. I don't think it's wrong right. to ask for more years, obviously. But I think that in some cases, we have to understand, too, that God's grace may be taking us to be with him. Yeah. We dealt with this during one of our culture questions, right? Yeah. And, and ultimately, God is the one who chooses when to take life and when to give life. Yeah. So if God is the, the giver and taker of life, then he's the only one that we pray to in these circumstances. I think Jesus is our model. It's okay to pray to avoid death mm-hmm. and it not violate God's will. Why? Mm-hmm. And I think you're getting at it. Ultimately, right. God wills what he wants. So with Jesus, he was able to pray and not violate the will of God by saying, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But in humility, he says what? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And interesting, you brought up 2 Chronicles 32, 24 through 26, talks about when Hezekiah came to the point of death, the issue in Hezekiah's life seems to be pride. And 2 Chronicles really brings that to a head, which at the end of chapter 32, in verse 31 
God brought the envoys from Babylon to test Hezekiah and see what was in his heart. Mm. So I think to your point, it's fair that Hezekiah may not have known what he was asking for, but he clearly wasn't prepared for the test that Mm. God was laying before him. So if we ask for more years, will we remain humble to use the added time God gives us for his glory or for our shame? So I think for me to, to wrap up my thought process to your question, it would be my prayer is my, my prayer unto God would be Lord, if it's your will for me to live longer for your glory, would you allow me to do that? If I'm not going to live for your glory and you and and you want me to go home to be with you, then I trust in that. Mm-hmm. So essentially it's the same thing Jesus prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And what? and that and that and that that really because essentially God is giving the desire of the heart to Hezekiah, even though his heart is not right. And, right. and this, so we have to be careful what we pray for. Yeah. We can pray for things and God can give us things that essentially are, are not according to, to, to what, what we would, we would say glorify God. Right. No, absolutely. What's interesting Hezekiah didn't even rule Rob half the time of his son. I mean, he Manasseh rules for like 55 years is what we're told. He's a wicked dude. But God allows him to be in place for a long time. And who would be his Hezekiah's great-great-grandson? Josiah. Josiah, right. Who will restore the kingdom back. He so let me just tell you how wicked Manasseh was. Okay, let's do it. He built altars in the house of the Lord for the stars. So they worshipped the stars. He burned his son as an offering. He used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers. So he's dabbling in Satanism and black dark magic. Mm-hmm. He carved an image. And he set it in the temple. I mean, this is wicked stuff, man. Well, and look at verse 9. He does more evil among God's people as God's king than the pagan nations around him. And then look at verse 13, where the Lord is speaking. And he talks about stretching over Jerusalem, the measuring line of Samaria, and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. So those, those are like these Old Testament terms of a, of a standard of judgment, right, right? Right. So the measuring line of Samaria, we've seen Samaria up and down, right? The yep. golden calves of Dan and these other things that were associated with it. But we remember the house of Ahab for sure, right? right. And Jezebel. Yeah. And if the Lord is saying that those are the measures of standard for his wickedness, then yeah, Manasseh is way far gone. Yeah. So this has been a good discussion. If you're listening to the Bible Rundown today, you, you can hear us wrestle with these issues. But this is what you have to do. This is Jewish meditation literature. You have to wrestle with the narrative. And you have to understand what the narrative is leading us to 
which is we need a king and the king is Christ. Anything else? No, I mean, the topic of prayer, we could talk all day, right? I mean, it just goes on and on. I think at the end of the day, we're, we're people that we communicate with God through prayer. And uh, our prayers mature as we mature in our walk with the Lord. But there's no prayer that the Lord doesn't want to hear that is not done in humility and, right. and ultimately seeking His glory. Amen. We'll oh. see you tomorrow. I'll run down. <laughs>